Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. One of the things I've really found in the church is the tendency of a churchgoer to fizzle out over a period of time. And this is really sad because God uses people for his glory no matter who they are. And realistically, when God shows his power in the life of a believer, the more unlikely that person is to be a warrior for God in the eyes of the world, the more God will likely use them to demonstrate his power. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So as we believers grow old, there is nothing saying we have to slow down in serving the Lord. There's nothing that says, hey, it's time to move along and let someone else run the show because you, you you see, you're getting up there in years and we need to prepare for the time when you're no longer able to do the job. Now, this obviously may be the case of a pastoral role in a church, but regarding everybody else, it's not in a paid position of leadership. Allowing Jesus to fill us with his Holy Spirit and do the work, that's all we need. And when it's our time to go, he's going to put somebody else in there, and he's going to prepare somebody, likely under their leadership, to take that role over. But the idea that the older you get, the less effective you are in ministry, that's just not true, unless we believe it ourselves. Now, there are times when a person should back out of ministry and let someone else take over. Yeah, we get that. But when that person backs out, they often back out of the ministry altogether instead of moving on to God's next calling for them. And this is sad for a number of reasons, the least of which is the fact that God's not done with them yet. When God is done with a person, that usually means the person is dead. But as long as we live, let us run this race to win and not quit in the fourth quarter. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I believe one of the biggest problems in the church today, from my perspective, is that the churchgoers tend to use the Sunday service as a weekly church fix, where their spiritual needs get recharged, and that's it. Go to church and we're done. The problem with this is it usually doesn't happen. Whereas close-knit fellowship with brothers and or sisters allows us the opportunity to get to know the people and the darkness that is in their hearts, and this is where we can jump into action, where that intimate fellowship takes place. The real ministry happens there when someone is close enough to you to open up with some pretty bad stuff in their life. And you're right there. That's where the ministry happens. That is the gathering of believers. That's where we encourage one another and stir up one another to love and good works. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. How many people on a Sunday morning will run up to someone and say, hey, man, I'm really battling this sin. Can you pray for me? That doesn't happen that often. Why? Well, maybe it's not the best setting for this. But again, a close, intimate setting with believers where we bear one another's burdens is a much better place for a person to disclose sin or grief or fear or whatever is hindering their relationship with the Lord. But how many people have access to this small band of warrior believers ready to jump into the battle. And an excuse that I hear a lot when I ask somebody about this is, I don't have a group like this. Well, create one. It only takes two to tango, so start with two. Do you have a believing spouse? There you go. 
So in an effort to liven up a person's spiritual party, I want to share what has helped me through times of my frustration, apathy, bitterness towards the church and Christians, which ultimately made me feel stupid because God is still good and God's still doing great things. And when we start pouting about it and walking away, we just end up looking dumb and feeling guilty, which we are. We're guilty of being dumb. I have found that most people, they really don't care if a person disappears from a church. And I found this out when many years ago, my wife and I pretty much walked out of our church. And we began looking for another because I was simply miserable and feeling so bogged down, I couldn't really see any light in my own life. And I hated it. I wanted that light to return and shine bright for Jesus, but it wasn't. So to make a long story short, the first lesson I learned from this period of time was my heart was totally wrong toward God. I labored for the ministry and expected God to reward my efforts, but he didn't seem to do anything. And this, of course, created even more frustration in my walk with him. And it wasn't God that I was mad at. It was our church and some of the drama among those who attended. I still loved Jesus and desired to serve him, but I felt like I was running on four flat tires. But I discovered it's not God's job to make me happy. It's God's job to guide me and shepherd my heart through the Holy Spirit, allowing me to grow. But that wasn't happening. I wasn't hearing from God. I wasn't interested in seeking others' counsel or going through another Bible study. My problem was I wasn't listening for God's instruction or willing to be led by the Spirit because I was mad. And if I had been willing, he would have told me what I learned at the end, and that is the church belongs to Jesus. It doesn't matter who's running it. It doesn't matter who is attending it. It's his church. And his people, they deny themselves. They take up their cross and they follow him no matter what. So following Jesus means appreciating people's efforts instead of nitpicking them. I also would have learned that my responsibility as a believer is to commune with God through the Holy Spirit. This means spending time with Him continually in prayer, seeking my own calling on my life, and obeying the hard things in the Word, like praying for your enemies instead of complaining about them. And the second big lesson I learned, thanks to my pastor's wisdom, is outlined in Isaiah chapter 58. And the context of this is God's irritated at the Israelites again, and this time, they're whining to God. Why is he not answering them even when they fast? In Isaiah 58, 6, is this not the fast that I've chose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing spirit spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. My pastor and I went through this list and he asked me if I was doing any of these things. And I saw not only was I not doing them, but realistically, I had no desire to do these. So the point of this is to do the things that God wants us to do and to stop doing the things that he doesn't want us to do, but we want to do. In other words, obey the word. The promise at the end actually happened at the conclusion of my spiritual sabbatical. I felt the presence of God again in my life, and it was like the sun shining after a long, cold winter. The other thing I realized, again, thanks to my pastor's read on my life, was that I had not confirmed what God called me to do in the ministry. So I wasn't doing what God wanted me to do. I really had no idea what my role was in the kingdom of God here on earth, but I wanted to know. And I began to pray about it, and God answered me and led me into a ministry where we simply prayed for people. God was teaching me to care about others more than myself, and taking this serious means I need to learn how to pray earnestly for them. The second thing was that I needed to take my seat at God's table, meaning that he has a place for everyone in his ministry. 
And for some, that may mean doing yard work for the person next door. For others, maybe changing the oil in a single mom's car for her. Another may be volunteering downtown to help kids. Whatever it is, we hear from the Lord and we get direction. We must go no matter what. That's what God wants us to do. And when we are faithful to do the things that God has called us to do, or our calling, as it's referred to, then we take our seat at his table that he has prepared for us, and we have fellowship with him and one another. But if we are living our lives outside his will and being dumb, then that fellowship breaks down. In 1 John 1, 6, it says, But if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. When we as believers gather together and edify or build up one another, then the Holy Spirit will use us in ways we don't even see coming. He will be our guide and take us through this life down a unique path each one of us has. And we must encourage one another to seek that path, the narrow and difficult way where life is, and not try to mimic other people's paths or create our own. Psalm 139 verse 14. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You know, our fingerprints are unique, indicating that we are unlike anybody else on the planet in that regard. We're unique. And with that uniqueness, we have been designed to serve the Lord in the place he has prepared for us. And a sad reality is that most churches will not encourage their congregation to be individuals, different from one another. Rather, we feel compelled to conform to the norm in that church. And that's a recipe for mediocrity and spiritual depravity. And I've met believers whose ministries are kind of secret in that they serve others behind the scenes. And they don't want anybody to really know about it because they're doing it for God. They're blessing this person. So their ministry is kept quiet. So to avoid becoming a spiritual slug, Matthew 6.33 But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Trust that God has created you unique. And with that, he will use you in a way you may not expect to build up the kingdom of God. And do this, and you'll be blessed. Thank you.